Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Lee Lonsberry. About 45 minutes left in my uh, in my time here with you. We're going to try to cram a lot in. We're going to jump uh, right into an update on Hurricane Dorian. We have on the line ABC News correspondent Pete Combs. Uh, Pete is joining us from Wilmington, North Carolina. Is that correct, sir? Actually, I'm in a little town in North Carolina called Carolina Shores. And, Lee, this is where one of about two dozen tornadoes spawned by the rain bands of Hurricane Dorian in North and uh, South Carolina. Uh, have have struck this tornado, not huge, but certainly destructive. It hit a housing division here called the farm, and it knocked down a lot of trees, blew off roofs, broke car windows. And, you know, Lee, the amazing thing is nobody here was hurt, and that seems to be the case in all of the tornadoes that have so far struck North and South Carolina. Pete, what what resources are are available to folks who who find themselves uh, without home or in evacuation areas? Well, uh, People, if they don't have, uh, if they if they can always go to shelters. There are plenty of shelters uh, set up by the county and by the state, and they go as far in, inland in North Carolina as Raleigh, as far inland in South Carolina as Columbia, which would be way out of the danger zone. Um, now, for the po- folks here who had these uh, their homes damaged in this neighborhood and others around them, there were some roofers who came through and very quickly tried to patch some of the worst of the damage. But Lee, I got a question: How is that going to work? In hurricane winds, we're just four miles from the coast. How are folks' spirits there? Are they opt? Are they are they hopeful? Are they confident in the services being provided them? Are they confident in their own resilience? What's the sense you get from the attitudes there, sir? Well, they, they sort of range, Lee. In some cases, uh, people are certainly uh, lighthearted, but that's very few. Uh, I've run into cases of people being very, very concerned here because, as you remember, this place was just swamped, quite literally, by Hurricane Florence a year ago. So people have a very uh, vivid memory of that. And in some cases, Lee, they're suffering from post-traumatic stress. Uh, one woman I talked with said she could cry about it. She could, you know, uh, pull her hair about it. In the end, that's what she wants to do, but she knows it doesn't do any good. So she's putting on a happy face and trying to take care of her neighbors. Electricity, I'm assuming, is knocked out where you are. What services are still up and running and which have been uh, uh, lost? Certainly, electricity has been knocked out for tens of thousands of customers in South Carolina as the storm rolled through Charleston, coming very close. Uh, Although uh, the good news about Charleston is that while there was street flooding, there was tidal surge, there was not the swamping floods that they were really concerned about as this whole uh, process began. Um, there are still a lot of those concerns where I am near Wilmington and a little bit south of here in Myrtle Beach because it looks like that's where this storm may make its closest approach to land. Mr. Combs, uh, Pete Combs, ABC News correspondent, sir, I'm grateful to you for the report. Uh, we'll check back with you uh, as things develop. Uh, you stay safe out there and, and, uh, and keep up the good work. Will do. Thanks a lot, Lee. 
Thank you. Uh, we're going to shift gears pretty abruptly here and speak now with Erin Mendenhall. Uh, she is a Salt Lake County Councilwoman for District 5 here in the city of Salt Lake, and she is running in the, the non-political race uh, of Salt Lake uh, County Mayor. Uh, Ms. Mendenhall, how are you? I am well, but I'm sorry. I have to correct you. I'm a Salt Lake City Councilwoman, and I'm running for Salt Lake City Mayor. Hey, did I get those both backwards? Oh, county. The county and the city, they get flipped up sometimes. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to you for the correction. Uh, <laughs> tell us very quickly, I'll admit we, we are short on time. Uh, what's the status of, of the race right now uh, in terms of its mechanics, and, uh, and what's your pitch to folks? Yeah, we've been gearing up since coming out on top in the primary. Um, I think what we're doing and the message that we're talking about is really resonating with Salt Lake City residents. I think what it says is that they want to have an option on the ballot in November and not have it just be two former state legislators. We've had 12 years of former state legislators between Ralph Becker and Jackie Biskupski, who's our mayor today. And I think they want to see someone in City Hall who has actual experience working in the city. I've been on the council, as you said, for six years, two terms. Um, my background's in air quality. I chair the state air quality board and came from the nonprofit realm before that. So my, I think the values and the future that I want to see in Salt Lake City is resonating with the voters. So now we're growing that campaign, reaching out to more voters and going as big and as far as we can with the conversations that we're having. It's an exciting time. You have uh, dedicated much of your career to uh, focusing on air quality. Uh, I am not great with science. Uh, I'm not great with geography, uh, but I have been told over the years that uh, a lot of what we experience here in the Valley has to do with our geography. I I see, too, as the fires uh, that have burned over the recent days have let their smoke fall, a lot of that's trapped. Tell me, please, about what uh, your attitude uh, along these lines and what you hope to accomplish. Would you find success in this election? Yeah, absolutely. Our geography is a part of it. You know, here along the Wasatch Front in particular, we're in quite a bowl-shaped valley, especially in Salt Lake County, where we have the Ochre Mountains on the west side of the valley, really creating a geography like a cereal bowl. So when we get atmospheric conditions, as we do in the wintertime so often, that uh, we get a high-pressure system trapping air pollution here where we don't have a storm come through, all of those emissions that we're cranking out from great big smokestacks all the way down to the tailpipes of our our vehicles, all of those emissions get stuck here instead of being able to move through with a wind or a breeze. Um, and that's when we start to pool all of the emissions that we have in the valley, and that gets trapped, and it absolutely affects our, our health and our well-being. It's also affecting our economy, though. We've heard from businesses uh, from Goldman Sachs to Overstock and many smaller businesses in between talk about how the talent that they're trying to recruit and the talent they have here today are not wanting to bring their families and live in a valley that has that kind of visible and caustic pollution. So there's a real economic conversation, not to mention the health conversation, to doing something about the very real emissions we're creating. You know that cars are getting cleaner all the time. Federal regulations have made uh, the catalytic converter systems and the gasoline itself uh, required to be more clean, and yet we're doubling our population along the Wasatch Front in the coming decades. We're driving a lot, and where we put our investments from the city to the state level around public transit options and making it easier, frankly, for us to get out of our cars and trucks, take transit, and making that a cheaper option 
and driving our cars will be part of the solution going in the future with the growing population that we see. Councilwoman, we have uh, just about 30 seconds left. I want to ask you two quick questions. If you hypothetically had a magic wand, you could wave over uh, the city <laughs> and uh, to, to bring about, to improve uh, the, the quality of the air, uh, what, what, what spell would you cast? What would you have done? I would have the state align UDOT and UTA toward a mutual goal of transforming our future transportation needs to allow for our ecosystem of the economy to continue to thrive and make it easier for us as residents, workers, commuters along the Wasatch Front to get onto transit instead of in our cars. We're going to be paying for a double-decking of I-15 if we don't get serious about making public transit more usable. It's going to help our economy. It's going to help the way we grow, the way we live, and the health of our residents. And my second question before we say goodbye, uh, if you could give instructions to an individual, what, what can I do uh, to, to, to improve the, the air quality situation? Number one, you can vote for me for mayor in Salt Lake City. <laughs> Secondly, All right. um, the, decision, the driving decisions we make, and, and frankly, politics has a lot to do with it, who we invest in with our votes to the companies that we support, it matters. It matters who we invest in. And as a mayor, I want Salt Lake City to be investing in companies and, in, in, frankly, in buildings and housing that supports the clean future that we need. It's more sustainable. It's cheaper for us as residents to sustain those kind of buildings. And it's, the, it's part of the solution we need to cleaning up our air in the future. Councilwoman, I'm grateful to you for your time. Uh, that's Erin Mendenhall. She's uh, running for Salt Lake City mayor, currently Salt Lake City Councilwoman for District 5. Uh, uh, we, in, in fairness, have reached out to her opponent who will appear on the program uh, next Monday. Uh, Lou Sescamilla, she'll be here uh, joining us as well. Thanks again. Uh, next up, we're going to turn our sights uh, and attention back to the State Fair. There's a lot going on this weekend. Uh, we gave it a shot yesterday. We've got the authority coming on uh, today. We're going to speak to Wade Garrett. I'll introduce you to him. He's a great guy. You're going to enjoy him. Stick around. I'm Lee Lonsberry, your guest host here on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.